have a really sweet, sad story from one of my coworkers. Uh, she is synchronous, so they do the Zooms. And the parent works at a restaurant, and that is where they were getting their, their Wi-Fi from. So the student would sit, you know, in the restaurant. People are dining behind him. He would try to answer, and you could hear the music coming up, you know, from the speaker or people talking over their lunch or whatever. And I, it just broke my heart, you know. And then he would turn his camera off, embarrassed of where he was at, you know. So. It's those those little things and, and poor things, you know, and mom's scared to send him to school, you know, for fear of the virus. So they made it work and every day he's at the restaurant, you know, doing his work with the Wi-Fi restaurant. Um, my, my parent today, you know, telling me she's having to drive, it's heartbreaking. You know, I wish I could, you know, give them my phone and hear hotspot it. That voice belongs to Lara, a first grade teacher in Del Rio, Texas, right along the Texas-Mexico border. The San Felipe Del Rio Consolidated Independent School District is a Title I school district and an example of what started with the onset of the pandemic and is happening in other low-income school districts across the state. The switch to online remote learning has not been the most simple process and has only been exacerbated by their community's place within the digital divide. The gulf between those who have ready access to computers and the internet and those who do not. People always have this quote of like, oh, education is the greatest equalizer. And I'm like, well, it's for those who have equal access to it. That was Amelia, a 10th grade English teacher in Edinburgh, a city in the upper part of the Texas Rio Grande Valley. So now like having access to um, quality internet service um, means access to quality, your quality education. So otherwise you're not getting a quality education. You know, teachers can be trying to do all this interactive stuff, but if the kid can't participate, how are they getting access to it? So what that does in the long term, it's like it's creating a group of people who are kind of like being like pushed through a system of like less quality uh, education, but also like it's become more of a threshold almost. Like, okay, you, you have good internet, then you're going to get this access to great education and, and so forth. So, I mean, I, I feel that it's unfair. It's not equal. Though separated by hundreds of miles, Laura and Amelia have students in the same boat floating within the gulf caused by the digital divide. A gulf that feels expansive as the Gulf of Mexico. From Raise Your Hand, Texas, I'm Tessa Benavides, and this is Intersect Ed where the stories of Texas public education policy and practice meet. This episode focuses on the digital divide, what it is, who is affected by it, how it is affecting Texas public schools and their students, and most importantly, how experts and lawmakers can help to close the divide. Raise Your Hand Texas supports House Bill 5 and Senate Bill 5. If passed, these bills would establish a state broadband development office focused on expanding reliable internet access to areas of the state like where Lara and Amelia teach. A first step that would ensure those most impacted by the digital divide are seen. They're very invisible to a lot of people, right? Just like the pandemic brought things into the news, you know? But it was kind of invisible that mom, those, those uh, 34,000 moms you know, going to McDonald's to try to take their child to do their homework. 
you know, that was quiet, quiet suffering, <laughs> you know, uh, that mom that couldn't get her, her degree and become a health professional because she didn't have access to the internet. Those are very quiet personal things that happen to people, but you know what? They're profoundly important for our economy. And, and, and in fact, um, you know, 34% of Texas residents, according to the census, you know, don't have access to fixed broadband at home. That's what we're trying to change. That voice belongs to Jordana Barton. It is impossible to talk about the digital divide in Texas and not hear Jordana's name. She is currently the Vice President of Community Investments with Methodist Healthcare Ministries based in San Antonio. She began studying the digital divide in Texas in 2013 when she worked for the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. What she quickly learned is that the digital divide has existed and has been growing for a long time. The advent of the commercial internet was about 1995 and there was a digital divide. You know, if you look back historically, you know, uh, some people didn't have access to computers, some people, um, but it wasn't such a big issue because access to the internet was seen as, and still is uh, legally, it's seen as a luxury, right? If you can afford it, you can have it. So what has changed is that it's now a necessity and has been for a while. <laughs> and, and so uh, it's no longer a luxury. It's a, it's a necessity for education. And we see it very blatantly, right? With the pandemic. Um, and um, if you don't have, if you can't socially distance and go to school from home, you, you can't access education. You can't, we're having what they're calling, right, the COVID slide in education. Because we're, we're just losing huge groups of students and they're not, they're not able to, to uh, be educated, right? We saw that during the pandemic, so it, it brought it into high relief. So now with the, what the pandemic did, Tessa, is it, it, it just pushed us like 10 years into the future. It was already a necessity the homework gap was already a travesty in our country and causing huge educational inequities, depending on whether or not you had access to the internet. leave this as a murky issue that only some people know about. We need all of our people to know what are real solutions, what can they have. It's basically a false scarcity that has been created, as if it can only happen to the lucky ones, that they can get fiber and, you know. No, it's, we actually, in this country, we can come together as communities and organizations and solve this. It's going to be a question of will. Do we have the will to share information to solve this problem? Or is the status quo going to win out? Who benefits from the status quo? Jordana poses a thoughtful question. Who is the status quo and who is currently left out of it? Through her research into the digital divide, Jordana views solving the digital divide as three separate spaces for community improvement. Whether the infrastructure is there, the affordability of the service and devices, and the training, digital skills, right? Training and technical assistance. 
Um, so you want to look at all three when you're developing solutions with communities uh, to solve the digital divide. We will dig deeper into infrastructure solutions in the next episode of Intersect Ed. For this episode, we will hear more from Laura and Amelia about how affordability and the lack of digital skills are affecting their students and their daily work. Here's Laura in Del Rio. Because I am a bilingual teacher, a lot of my kids only have their parents to work with them after work hours. I can see how difficult that is. You know, you have, let's say you have a family of five. You, you chose online because you're worried about the safety of your children. You're worried about the safety of whoever is living with you, grandparents, aunts, uncles. So you've opted to choose online for that reason. Internet is expensive. It's expensive and... I mean, like I said, we're tied to one district and yeah, a lot of our, a lot of our families struggle, you know, and more so now in this pandemic. And now, you know, the emotional struggle of having to send your kids in because you, you didn't have the availability of the broadband and the devices. So it's sad. In Edinburgh, Amelia feels the same anxieties for her students and their families. I know that I have kids that like started off the year with really good grades, but then like the next month their parents couldn't pay the bill and it became a problem. So, I mean, I know that like you will have kids, like I have some of those kids that, you know, they're not made performing, you know, they're good students, but because of the lack of access, um, they're not able to give you the best grade. Um, I have one student who tells me, Miss, es que estoy acá en el rancho, because she lives in the outskirts of the city. So even though they have a hotspot, the hotspot is worthless. I have students who will tell me, Miss, my internet is spotty. It's coming in and out, right? And if I use multiple programs, it becomes problematic because they're like, uh, Miss, like it's buffering, it's not hitting send, and I'm trying, and you know, and all of that is comes down to like the capacity of the internet they have at home. Uh, whether it's a hotspot that they got from the school, because some of them got hotspots, the hotspot doesn't have the capacity to last for the whole month. Um, and some of the kids will be like, I can't switch back and forth. Like if you're using multiple programs, I spoke to one of the, the parents and the parent was like, um, "My, I have internet access, but it's two two children. So the bandwidth is not enough. And the, like the company was trying to sell them more gigabytes or whatever. And they're like, oh, it's uh, going to be $240. And she's like, I can't afford $240. She's like, I'm already paying $140 for this. I was like, yeah, I understand. Because of a lack of infrastructure to connect communities across Texas to the internet, costs for internet are varying from community to community. So the lack of access and affordability creates a false scarcity, according to Jordana. Are we going to live in that all the time, paying the highest cost of these devices? No, it's false. It's a false scarcity. We do not have scarcity. We have abundance and we have the solution. It's just people need to know about it. And so we're trying to demonstrate how it can be done because it's technology, it's, it's the community coming together. Solving the affordability issue is a conversation about more than just whether or not the FCC deems the internet to be a public good, like electricity, though that is a good conversation that needs to be had. Most definitely, unequivocally, it is a necessity. 
I didn't realize at the time, right, back in 2013, 14, when I was doing this study, but it became very clear that it was a necessity just like water and electricity. And so that challenges the underlying assumption by which telecommunications or internet access policy has been made in this country. It's a luxury good, right? And if you can afford it, you can have it. So that brings up, should it be a utility, right? And that's very important legal ramifications, right? It should be, right? Because it is a necessity. We'd be lying to ourselves if we said it wasn't. Um, but that would say that, okay, internet service providers, cooperatives, rural cooperatives, all the entities, right, that are equipped to close the digital divide, you not only are you going to get, you know, support from the federal government, but you're going to be required to cover all areas at a cost that is everybody can afford, right? Just like with the telephone, just like with rural electrification. And it's not that one entity will be responsible for doing all of it, right? You'll have rural co-ops, you'll have internet service providers, you'll put this effort together to reach every corner of the country, low-income communities included, with, with a basic service that we all agree on is the basic service at a basic cost. But we do not have to wait for the FCC. Jordana is a big proponent of local municipalities and private corporations and organizations coming together to address the digital divide in their communities, something a statewide office, such as the State Broadband Development Office, could monitor and assist in developing. We can create something totally new in this age, right? Where you have public-private partnerships solving this issue. You have local governments joining together to create efficiencies to provide the internet connectivity. Whether or not they become an internet service provider is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you have infrastructure in low-income communities. So if access is provided at a low-cost rate, does that mean the digital divide is solved? What Amelia in Edinburgh has realized is that even when her students have internet access, that does not always mean they know how to utilize the programs needed to participate in remote learning. I'll ask them like, hey, can you guys open one tab for this, one tab for that, and have it in a split screen, right? And someone like, miss, I don't know how to do that. And, and that's also part of the digital divide where the kids are not, you know, people have this assumption that like, oh, the kids love video games or on social media, like, but that's a different platform. Like the kids are not really fully aware of, you know, programs that we use here in the classroom. It is not just her students who needed Amelia to teach them computer skills. I'm able to speak two languages because my native language is Spanish. But yes, they would tell me like, Ms. No sé cómo ayudarle. like they don't know how to help their child because they don't know what the issue really is. Like they're not as literate as the, the general population, which, you know, they might be first, uh, they have, you know, the capability of speaking two languages. The Spanish only speakers have a harder time trying to understand, like, what is it that I want their child to do? Like, if, you know, if they're in the, like, you know, sometimes I can speak to the child, but sometimes I can't. I have to talk to the, the parents. And the parents, like, ¿Qué? like, you know, they're like, ¿Qué es eso? No me lo encuentro, right? Where do I find this? Where, where is it? They're, you know, it's really, really hard for them to understand because they did not grow up with that, you know, um, online education, they didn't grow up using Google Classroom, you know, that's a lot of, you know, things that parents have to learn too. Laura shares this experience with Amelia. I kind of go the extra mile. I do a lot of translating for them. Um, Google is amazing. 
um, I'm, I'm able to insert audios and I color code in English and what's in Spanish. So maybe the child doesn't need the translation, but the parent does. And I know the parent feels like they want to help. So um, I offer that. Jordana cautions that while infrastructure and affordability seem to solve the digital divide, that's only the beginning. You can't go anywhere without the infrastructure for sure, but so important is, is digital skills, right? So the people on the wrong side of the digital divide, low-income people, minorities, people of color, elders. So it depends when you were born, right? How the, the internet has developed over the years, right? And this necessity has developed over the years. So that need that those teachers are trying to meet is a generational thing, right? And, and it's, it's, it's a testament to the fact that, that they know as educators that how the parents' access is so is as important as the students' access. It's not just that the students need to have access and be trained, right, in digital skills, but their parents do also in order to communicate with the school to help their child uh, as they go from elementary uh, to the upper grades, you know, with the digital skills to uh, be able to participate in healthcare and advocate for their students and their children in, in many, many realms. Public education has forever been changed by the pandemic. Inequities in education have been laid bare due to the lack of internet access and the digital divide. And while there have been many innovations and lessons learned over the last year, we know that in the long term, we need to be intentional about how we solve these inequities so all students have equitable access to school and learning. As conversations continue happening at the Capitol about these bills, we must remember the experiences of Lara and Emilia, as well as their students and their communities. Finding a way for an equitable system of access to broadband will ensure success for students and teachers in the future. Our next episode will examine the effects of House Bill 5 and Senate Bill 5 on solutions that are already being implemented and how those might be able to scale to larger initiatives. I'm Tessa Benavides, and this is Intersected. Today's episode was written and narrated by me, Tessa Benavides. Our sound engineer and editor is Brian Diggs, and executive producer is Laura Millette. Thanks for listening to Intersect Ed. If you want to learn more about how to support Texas public education or how to get involved, head over to raiseyourhandtexas.org.